Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. I'm a feminist, but I'm kind of glad this Brexit chaos is being handled by men again. So I can be like, men ruin everything. It was trickier when Theresa May was doing it because we knew that she was only allowed through because she was part of the patriarchal forces. I have the same thing with Barack Obama. Like, he is a brother, so great and all that, but not in my name, Barack, you know what I mean? Voted in on a peace deal and then he was just dropping bombs all the time, so, you know. I know, his foreign policy was troubling. I do it all the time, Lewis Hamilton as well. My... <laughs> You know what I mean? Why you're offshoring your tax, you know, all the time? Like, I want to back you, bruv, but at the end of the day, it's graceful. I never feel that about white people. <laughs> such, such wonderful foreign policy slash tax policies they all have. I am a feminist, but if my fiance bends over in our house and I don't walk up behind her and slap her on the bum while shouting, oi, oi, then I'm clearly not feeling myself. Okay, we should have vetted these before you began. I think backstage we should have had a chat about what is and isn't an appropriate I'm a feminist but. They laughed. I mean, that's not the only metric for success here. We're not in jonglers, babe. Can't wait for the other ones. Oh, God. Oh, God, this was such an error. I'm a feminist, but Wagatha Christie was the most fun 24 hours of my life or anyone's life. I mean, it was good, though, wasn't it? I mean, it was a, it's a classic example of two women pitted against each other and the media and sort of like something that we... I mean, it had the word wag and it. it was something we just... No one should be defined as a wife and girlfriend. I mean, it's just... But it, oh, it was delicious. Mm-mm-mm. But only for 24 hours. And I want you to know that I was phoned up by the BBC and they asked me to come on the following Sunday and talk about it on the radio. And I said no... Because while it was a very enjoyable 24 hours, this should not be a continuing saga that we're all, oh, is this feminist? We shouldn't, let's get on with the important things now. And so I said no to that. And I only tell you that because I want you to know I'm an incredible human being. (laughs) I am a feminist, but... (laughs) I, I don't believe enough credit is given to the plight of the father during the labour process, like labour. And I'll continue. Uh, now, right, I, I'll just, just to give you my experience, right, I had to sleep in a chair, right? Oh, my God. You are not getting out of here alive. I mean, it's lock the doors. Let's have a kiki. Uh, you had yeah, to sleep in a chair, had did to sleep you? sleep in a chair, right? Oh. And, yeah, and I'm going to no. be honest, right, I only literally got one hour's sleep. Oh! Yeah? No, and if you don't believe me, you can ask my fiance because she was awake through the whole process. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I mean, we're not really getting on at the moment. Like, I think she was a little bit kind of you know, inconsiderate, really, because she just kept screaming through the whole thing, waking me up. So, yeah, I didn't really get much sleep. And, yeah, I don't think Dad's get enough credit for that. Obviously, Johnny's being ironic. Please don't kill him. <laughs> this is irony. These are jokes. I have spoken to a lot of men about it and they've said the thing is that feeling of frustration of I can't do anything. And I thought maybe if we provided a tool like the Black & Decker Birthmate that didn't, it didn't do anything. It was just sort of something I could rev. So they felt like they were doing something. I think that would work. I think that would sell. 
you tell them it does something like it times the contractions or something and it's helpful in some way, but it's just a toy they can play with. You know those like machines at like the fairgrounds where you can like move the joystick and a little claw comes down and picks things up? Like if you had something like that that made it seem like you were gonna grab the baby out, I reckon men would be distracted for ages. What, like a claw? Yeah, you're like, like, mm. like you're trying to get it. Yeah, and it comes down and goes, mm, and then and it never comes think, up oh, with a prize yeah. and goes back. And just keeps going at that. Yeah, I see your reasoning. However, I feel that what most women don't want, <laughs> even more than that man with his Love Actually signs. Did you see the man with the Love Actually signs? Oh, there was an American man, and he had signs that said, I love you so much, and remember our first date, as she was giving birth. <laughs> And, I mean, if you want a party, just Google that and look at British Twitter's response. <laughs> I can't stand the guys like that who try and make it about them. Like, Robbie Williams as well. Do you remember his one? No. He started dancing through his whole album whilst his, his wife's giving birth. I mean, it's a shit album anyway. Yeah. You're so vain, I bet you think this labour's about you. <laughs> I'm a feminist... But recently, I received an email from a man saying nice things about the podcast. And I try and write back to everyone, and I often can't. And I thought I saw the word sexiest, and I was like, oh, no, 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 please, no, no. And then I read it, and I realized it said sexist, and he was referring to something sexist that had happened and what he'd done to stand up for it because of the podcast. And I was, of course, very relieved and also a little bit disappointed. I mean, only a little bit, only that human flicker of flea bag inside me that wants to be desired 24-7. I'm a feminist, but I never liked the idea of Sheila's wheels. <laughs> For our international listeners, <laughs> Sheila's wheels was a, car insurance, a female-directed yeah. car insurance yeah. uh, company that was eventually put out to pasture because the laws in this country changed, I think in line with Europe, to say that you could not charge women one thing for car insurance and men another thing for car insurance because of gender equality, even though women are obviously safer drivers and that's why we had the cheaper car insurance. So it was a hit that women took. Now, if we Brexit, I bet Sheila's wheels are back. <laughs> they're coming back. Oh, they'll be coming With back. With a bang. <laughs> they'll be back. Sheila's, the first thing that'll happen, the first one across that channel, <laughs> I mean, Sheila's will, they'll be held up for five hours <laughs> while they do the paperwork, but Sheila's wheels will be back. And Sheila's wheels... Live from King's Place in London. This <laughs> one today, the show presents the Guilty This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Johnny Cochran, and we're talking about fatherhood! <laughs> so first of all, Johnny, could you please just explain why you're a man? Um, where to start? Uh, no, I, I don't really know why I'm a man. So, yeah. No, I, mean, I don't mean why you're a man, why you're a man on the show. Oh, right. I, I don't mean explain why you're a man. I thought you were getting deep, like, philosophical questions no. here. Well, no, not why you're a man. You're a man because you're a man. There's no reason for that and no excuse. <laughs> but... But why have we had... Because we've, we've only ever had one male co-host before, ever, for this show. Does anyone remember who it was? No, it wasn't Nish. It was a... No, he was a guest. We've had male guests before, relevant male guests, but we've only ever had one co-host. It was Hari Kondabolu, and it was in Geneva because he'd invited me to the UN to do a special episode on immigrants, and we interviewed his mum. And Hari's brilliant. If you haven't seen his documentary, uh, The Problem with Our Poo, you really should. It's about the Simpsons and uh, how difficult it was growing up as a South Asian American when the only representation on the telly was Apu running the corner shop. It's absolutely brilliant. So that was an episode that sort of I was invited to do with the man. So Johnny is the first man where I've said, I need a man. And therefore... 
Now, Tom, my husband, Tom Solinsky, is away. He's ill. He's not here tonight. He's normally here producing. But that is not why I've said I need a man. <laughs> She's lying. She is lying. It's like Batman, you know, they put a big sign in the sky. There's just a penis up in the sky. <laughs> I answered the call. Okay, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> no, I now understand your question. Uh, I am a man and co-hosting The Guilty Feminist because... This is about um, raising feminists, essentially, and fatherhood and uh, parenthood. And I recently became a dad. So I recently did... It feels like I'm always at the UN. I'm not. But I recently did a UN awards... He for she uh, awards ceremony. And I met uh, this amazing guy who won a special award because he's the founder and editor-in-chief of musicfootballfatherhood.com. And it's called musicfootballfatherhood.com because it's a place to lure men. Not entrapment. Lure is the wrong word. <laughs> it does, that sounds like entrapment. Um, it's a space where the founders want men to feel comfortable. You might be coming just to talk about music or a movie or football. You might be thinking, oh, yeah, I'd like to talk about Arsenal. But while you're there, you can talk about fatherhood. So it's this really open, interesting place that allows men to step up and see themselves as full parents, not babysitters. Um, as Bridget Christie always says, it's not women's job to solve sexism. It's Johnny Cochran's. <laughs> so I thought, Johnny's just had a baby. He's the kind of man who might use music football fatherhood because you are also, Johnny... Yeah, co-host of the new Arsenal podcast as well. So, yeah, it's all happening. Uh, I literally had a baby and thought, I need more on the plate. So, yeah, it's kind of like football and parenthood is very in vogue for me right now. So I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's good. This is the first time I've been outnumbered on The Guilty (laughs) Feminist. I know, there's a little unrest in the audience. People are a bit nervous. But I genuinely do feel if we will not sit and look at fatherhood, you know, if we won't provide an episode for fathers, how are we going to win them over? And we don't just want to preach to the choir each week. And I feel like we've just got to tackle this because you know it's going to be 2020 soon. Like, that is a fucking sci-fi year. (laughs) That is... Forget 2001 Space Odyssey. I mean, we're in 2020. We've gone past the Back to the Future year... We're in a year that no one's even made a space show about because it seems so fantastical. I thought we'd be more advanced by now. I thought parenting would be widely accepted as a job that a man could do. But the way it's still talked about, constantly talked about as, oh, he's looking after the child, or there's this sort of weird sense of feeling around the way that a man is praised if he's looking after the child. We're not where we should be. So tonight, Johnny, Elliot and JJ, who are our guests, are going to solve this problem. And then what I would like you to do is spread this episode far and wide and make all fathers listen to it and all men who might be fathers. Any future fathers. So if you have a son, you have to make him listen to it. I don't care if he's five. I think that's fair. Only right. Because little girls are given dolls and prams and nurturing roles since they're very, very small. And boys are given sort of little mini CEO suits and just like play money. And And they should be given podcasts, shouldn't they? Absolutely. They're given now little baby's first Amazon set and Jeff Bezos mask (laughs) and told you will be a billionaire of the future. And... A girl is just given a replica of herself and, and told your whole purpose is to replicate yourself, nurture yourself, and then die unfulfilled. <laughs> so the message, though. It is, it is. I couldn't agree more, first of all. Um, and I've already well, got... you're, not, you're too frightened to not agree more, I think. I know. I, I... It's like, they will turn on you. I realise I'm outnumbered very much. I, I would suggest you agree more. I, I'm going to do a lot of that today. And I have... Um, I, my child is uh, a little boy as well as a little son, and I've already got his Jeff Bezos suit ready for him <laughs> to climb straight into. But, no, it's, I, I think it's great that you're doing this episode because, um, you know, at the end of the day, feminism isn't just an issue for women. It is an issue for all of us. And when you're talking about an issue that affects everyone, you can't just invite half the party to the conversation because even if you all get together, you're still up against the other half of the party. So it is a case of being able to say, look, this is something that men absolutely have to get involved with to find a solution. So 
bang on. Starts with this podcast. Let's go. <laughs> well done, Johnny. I'm very sorry, ladies, is taken. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here, just updating you about our Big Speeches workshops. Now, as you probably know by now, we have some workshops booked in for the new year. Sunday the 12th of January, Saturday the 18th of January, Sunday the 19th of January and Sunday the 2nd of February, all at the Rose and Crown Theatre Pub in Walthamstow. So we're giving you plenty of time to book for those, be it for a Christmas present, a New Year's resolution or just to treat your own self. I'd also like to add a date to that, which is Sunday the 26th of January. We are going to be back at the Story House in Chester. We had such a great time the last time. We cannot wait to come back. So if you want to book for that workshop, please go to the Story House website. All the other dates are bookable through guiltyfeminist.com. Can't wait to see you there. Cheers. As I explained earlier, I am a new dad. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. An Essex dad as well. And uh, we called my son Leon, as together with the initial of my surname, he's now got the most Essex name imaginable, Leon C. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are not the most au fait with Essex geography, Leon C is a place in Essex next to South End on Sea which coincidentally was our second choice of a name. <laughs> the thing is, basically, he was like nearly two weeks overdue, okay? And eventually when he came out, he had to be um, taken out by forceps. So it was, yeah, it was quite a difficult birth. And he ended up with like, he came out of a black eye, like a big swollen eye. And he got a lot of sympathy. Everyone was coming up going, oh, look at his little face. Oh. And I was like, do not feel sorry for him, okay? He's two weeks overdue. And we all know, if you're in a venue and you're repeatedly asked to leave, <laughs> when you are eventually ejected from the premises, you cannot complain about a few bumps and grazes, all right? So now he's at home, and uh, yeah, it's just a lot of sleepless nights and babies crying, right? And those are literally two forms of torture for human beings, okay? Literally, sleep deprivation and babies crying. Now, the thing is, is when you first get your baby and they say you're about to embark on a journey, you don't realise that that journey's going to be to Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> it's tough, it is tough. And since I've had a child as well, I've been introduced to a new group of people, okay? And these people are the people that think it's okay to walk up to you in the street and just touch your baby. <laughs> and I've got to be honest, in my experience so far, it's been only women that have done this as well, right? It's only women that have done it. They've come up and just touched my baby. Now, at the moment, I spend most of my waking hours trying to keep this human being alive, okay? He's like a Tamagotchi on the hardest level. <laughs> Really difficult, right? And the thing is, is, you know, she might be a nice bystander who just wants to come up and show some love, but I don't know if she's a nice bystander or like a Russian special agent who's just washed her hands in Novichok, you know. <laughs> I don't want you touching my baby. She felt the need to give me a reason for why she wanted to touch my baby. She's like, oh, I just love babies. I just felt like saying, yeah, so do I. That's why I fucking had one. Now fuck off. <laughs> But you can't say it, can you? Uh, right, my other thing about my baby is his face. This is what they don't tell you as well. His face changes all the time. It just constantly morphs. We believe he's in the Phil Barry stage at the moment, which isn't an official medical term. It's that we think he changes between looking like Phil Mitchell and Barry from EastEnders. <laughs> stages in the day, right? Just constantly moves. Now, I used to watch Game of Thrones, right? And there was a character, Arya, in there, in case you know. And she had the ability, after a while, of changing her face to carry out her assassinations. My baby's kind of like an Arya, just a shitter version. The only people he can morph his face into are Phil and Barry out of EastEnders. And therefore, the only people he might be able to assassinate are EastEnders cast members. I might send him out for Dot Cotton if the winter don't get her this year. <laughs> Bit harsh. I didn't know how it was going to go down, but I thought I'd try it anyway. 
Like, bearing in mind, right, that this is his face, but it changes all the time. But what gets me about this, right, is that he can now get a passport, right, that will be his passport for the next five years. Now, call me a cynic, uh, but I don't think any system that is in place where the border officials have to look at a five-year-old child in front of them and have to try to work out whether that's the same human being as the Barry from EastEnders-looking baby in the passport photo in front of him. I don't think that should be the case. My baby also has absolutely no shame. He has no shame, right? The other day I was changing his nappy and he pissed on his own face. Like, genuinely, like a water fountain. He's laying down, it just goes all the way over and pisses onto his own face. Do you remember that Kim Kardashian photo, the Break the Internet one? where he's got champagne going over onto a champagne glass on her bum. It was like that, but the baby version. <laughs> Just literally, he's got no shame whatsoever. But the thing is, he also gets like a little milk drunk, which is quite cute, right? He gets a bit milk drunk, and he's like slaggering around. He reminds me of me when I'm drunk. Because in both instances, like you wake up with an empty bottle in front of you, you know, start crying for your mum, and you may or may not have pissed yourself as well. <laughs> the thing is, is my baby is cute. Right, and that is great because it helps if your baby's cute. It does. Like people don't want to say it, but it does help because you have to deal with so much of their crap, literally their crap, that it helps if there's just a cute smiling face back at you. You know, if you can get a few Instagram likes along the way, all the better. Um, so, like the other day, I had to clean his nappy, and it was just like a poo nami, poo absolutely everywhere. And the thing is, I don't want to give an increased level of sentiency to my child, you know, that's not actually there. But I swear, he actually knows what he's doing. Like when he pooed, and I was cleaning up his, like wiping his ass, he was looking at me and just laughing, like. <laughs> 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 you got to do that, you know. So I just felt the need to get him back. Um, so the next time he was crying because he was hungry, I held him close to my bare chest. And just when he thought he was going to get some food, that's right, people, nipple hair. <laughs> yeah. And he looked back at me like I'd catfished him. So I wasn't expecting that, you know, like he was going to leave me a bad review on Baby Trip Advisor. One star. There was a hair in my food. Um, the one thing that has kicked in for me with my child is I've got this protective sense that's kicked in right now. I do, I do want to protect my child. And like it, it plays out in some quite weird ways. The other day I was walking down the street and I went into, with, with my child, and I went into like a ten minute daydream about fighting a dog to the death. <laughs> because in my daydream the dog had tried to attack him and then I had had to fight the dog off, you know, you know, to the death and all that. And then after about 10 minutes, I snapped out of my daydream and realised that I no longer knew where my child was. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, at the end of the day, like, I lost track of him about 10 minutes ago, you know. But the thing is, I had to follow that dog to let him know that I'm not one to be messed with, you know what I mean? But one of the things that's happening at the moment, which I found hilarious is um, I caught my fiance the other day on a dating app right now before you think that the child has driven a wedge between us which it probably will sooner rather than later <laughs> but um, she wasn't on like a tinder or anything looking for a new guy she was on a dating app looking for other new mums to meet up for lunch dates yeah so it's not like tinder it's like minder or minder or something like that right so I tried to sign up to this app Right, as a kind of, I'm a comedian, I wanted to explore to see if there was any, you know, good material there. Uh, now, for anyone, <laughs> for anyone who watched the uh, show The Circle, um, my plan was to impersonate a Scouse mum called Sammy. <laughs> as I'd seen it been done successfully, right? But they, they rumbled me and said, you cannot join. So I thought I'm going to have to speak to my fiancé to hear about her experience to see if there was anything good, right? So I said... Because basically, on this app, you can swipe left or right, or the equivalent of, for other mums that you want to meet, okay, if you want to meet them for a dinner date or a lunch date or whatever. So I said, what is it about a potential new mum match that might make you want to meet her or not want to meet her? And this is a genuine response. What she said was, I don't like them too polished. I like to see bags under their eyes, like they're a bit damaged like me. That was a genuine response. So if there are any new mums out there who think that they're about to hit rock bottom, someone wants to meet you. <laughs> OK? Uh, right, and that is my time. Uh, thank you very much. Cool. 
Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah just interrupting your podcast listening to tell you that we are coming to America in January. We're starting in Boston. We've got two nights in New York. We're going to Chicago. We're going to Philadelphia. We're going to Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, and Canada. We're coming at you too, Vancouver and Toronto. Please get tickets now. It's going to be absolutely incredible. We've got some incredible guests lining up. We've got some incredible guests lined up. I'm not allowed to announce the names yet, but they're going to be truly amazing. And it's going to be frantic scenes all over the United States of America and two venues in Canada. So join us when we're on tour in January. All the dates are at guiltyfeminist.com. Also in February, we are coming to Australia. We are coming to New Zealand. We're going to the Enmore Theatre in Sydney. Huge. We're going to do three nights in Melbourne. We are going to Brisbane. We're going to the Gold Coast for the first time where I was raised. Amazing. And then in New Zealand, we are going to be in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Get tickets now. Go to guiltyfeminist.com. On the 26th of November in London, I'm hosting an evening with Emma Thompson, Greg Wise and guests. And those guests include Catla Moran, Bill Bailey, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones and Steve Alley. Uh, this is all in celebration of the book Last Christmas, which is a collection of essays from people as famous as Meryl Streep and Stephen Fry, but also there are incredible ones from people that you may never have heard of, but have had incredible Christmas experiences. It's a beautiful stocking filler or even a main present. And in addition to it being a beautiful stocking filler, all the proceeds from the book go to the Refugee Council and Crisis. So get tickets for that show at Guardian Live. 26th of November, 8.30pm, an evening with Emma Thompson, Greg Wise and guests. If you are in Manchester and you're thinking, what, we've been left out? You haven't been. Tuesday, the 3rd of December, at the Manchester Palace, the Secret Policeman's Tour comes to you. The Secret Policeman is a legendary comedy brand from Amnesty International fighting for human rights since the 1970s. We, the Guilty Feminist, have teamed up with Amnesty to revive it in a way where the bill reflects those whose human rights most routinely eroded or in fact taken away. On this particular show, and we've had some genuine classics, we have Nish Kumar, we have Bridget Christie, Shapiko Sandy, some absolutely extraordinary names. If you go to guiltyfeminist.com, you will be able to see the whole bill, but you won't want to miss it. All of the proceeds go to Amnesty International. You will be doing something wonderful for human rights, and it's a real brilliant end of year celebration as well. 3rd of December, 7.30pm, Manchester Palace. Do not miss it. I'm hosting it. Please come. On the 29th of November at 8am, the Choose Love Store is opening. And for the grand opening, I'm going to be there with some other comedians and well-known faces that you will know and love. I'll be doing a book signing. Come and buy some amazing stuff for Choose Love. As Banksy says, what do you get the person who has everything? Something for someone who has nothing. Come along. It's an amazing concept. You can buy a hot shower, a hot meal for a refugee, or you can buy like a thermal baby grow or a life jacket for somebody. You can donate for something for yourself or you can donate something for someone else for Christmas. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. 29th of November, 8am, and you can get all the details on helprefugees.org. On the 24th of November and the 7th of December in London, there is Global Pillage. So that's next Sunday, Global Pillage, 4pm at King's Place. It makes a lovely afternoon tea time show. Two teams of comedians versus the hive mind of the audience, diversity-based cultural questions. And on the bill, we have, as always, me, Ned Sedgwick, and special guests Heidi Regan, who you might know from Grown Up Land, Sarah Bonetto, Alex Edelman, Monica Gargar, Alison Spittle, and Olga Koch. And that will be the 24th of November at 4pm. On the 7th of December, we have our Christmas show, Christmas Global Pillage. It's always the most fun one. And we have Sarah Keyworth, Catherine Bohart, Johnny Cochran from the show today, Alice Fraser, uh, who you will have heard in the Crossover Bugle episode, Athenica Blenu, and Souk Ojla with music from Kirsty Newton. That's 7th of December at 4pm. Come along, join in the fun, be in the hive mind, shout out answers or just buzz for the one you think is right. It's a genuinely riotous, joyful embrace of afternoon. Now, we have some beautiful merch at the moment. I am currently wearing a T-shirt that says unexplained public laughter disrupts the patriarchy and on the back, the Guilty Feminist logo. There's lots of different designs. We have our sister hoodies that say the sisterhood protects me from the rain. And we've even got aprons that say I'm a feminist, but I do love an apron. All of our profits from the merch go into the Guilty Feminist pot for good things. And that's for things like carrying on the suffragettes, help refugees projects. Now, Steve Alley does some necklaces 
from his company, Road from Damascus. Half the profits go to him for his continuing education and for making the pieces, and half go to his mother's project in Turkey, helping female refugees get a craft. So if you go to road-from-damascus.co.uk, you'll see uh, that he's bringing out two new gorgeous designs for this Christmas. So check those out and they make a very special Christmas present for somebody. They really are stunning pieces of jewellery and they're just something to be treasured. My book has an exciting new cover for Christmas. So if there's someone in your life that you think, oh, they would like this book, then come along and get it signed at the Choose Love Store. There'll be various signings, including that one that I've mentioned. I'll just pick it up in a local bookshop, ideally from someone who pays their tax, and enjoy this Christmas. And hopefully we'll have more exciting things for you in the new year. And don't forget, Hannah Gadsby's on tour. Check out her website for more details. She's going all around the world. And now back to the podcast. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Please welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White! Thank you. I'm a feminist, but I've come to the point in my life and career where I've decided I definitely don't want to be a mother, but I'd love to be a dad. <laughs> It'd be great though, wouldn't it? It would be great to be a dad. And by dad, I of course do mean the old dad role, not the new dad role we want dads to be, but the old dad role where you come home from your fulfilling career when the children are in their pajamas and smelling beautiful and you toss them in the air a few times and they laugh and say daddy we missed you so much and then you put one of them on your back and you pretend to be a horse for seven minutes and then you put them into bed and you read them a little story very short story and then you pour yourself a large gin and tonic and you're done I mean, that is brilliant, isn't it? That is, who wouldn't want that, though? I don't understand anyone who wouldn't want that. The parts of parenthood I really do think I'm going to miss out on, because I know that's not an experience I'm going to have. There's two parts that I really want. I want the part... You know that photograph that you see on Facebook of new parents when the baby's just been born, and they're looking at the child in wonder? You know, when they're just like... Their faces are experiencing something that is just like a miracle has happened and they're looking at themselves, I suppose, replicated. And like, I suppose like the first person who ever looked at a photocopy, just going, what is this miracle? It's like a 3D, I suppose if I got a 3D photocopier and made a small version of myself, I'd be like, holy fuck. But imagine if that thing was breathing and would morph into another bigger thing and, I mean, you'd be frightened because it would be science fiction and that thing would probably kill others. But in this scenario, hopefully not. And there, I mean, some of them do. That's why we have death that's not of old age because some, some of the little faces that were like, and the parents were like, went on to kill. And, and run countries, fascist dictators were once... Somebody was looking at a fascist dictator and they're like, it's a miracle I've made my mo-. That's, ha- that's true. All serial killers were at one point just a miracle in their mother's arms. So I want that moment. 
And the other moment I want is giving a speech at my daughter's wedding. Those are the two moments that I wish I could just have those moments of parenthood and nothing else. But apparently, no. Apparently, there's loads of, like, relentlessly boring bits in between. And I think that fundamentally, the reason... What puts me off motherhood the most is actually not nappies and it's not, you know, a sleeplessness and all of that sort of stuff. It's this. I was at the Edinburgh Festival talking to a friend of mine and she got a phone call and she went, sorry, I've got to take this. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, I didn't. Well, I don't know. Well, Well, I can't tell you every time I'm on the television. Well, look in the Radio Times like everyone else. I don't know. No, I've told you how to use iPlayer. I've shown you how to use iPlayer twice. No, all right. Well, I can't talk now. I'm talking to a friend. Bye, Mum. <laughs> and then she hung up and went, oh, that's the reward. <laughs> Is that someone somewhere in 20 years' time will go, oh, every time your name comes up on the phone. That's the fucking payoff, is someone who can barely stand to be in your company for an hour without going, will you stop, oh, for fuck's sake, when you say some incredibly normal thing to them. When you say, oh, I like that top, they're like, yep. Yes, it's a nice top. Yes, it's a lovely top. Not like all my other tops, which you don't approve of. No, I was just saying that was a nice top. Were you? (laughs) Because it feels like a veiled criticism, which is all it ever is from you. I mean, in any other context, it's an abusive relationship. Just go, hmm, if you would be irritated by your mother if you lived with her for a year. Mm. Right, that was too soon and too enthusiastic. (laughs) This is the woman who taught you how to do everything you can do. Holding your head up right now, there are you. Do you know who taught you to do that? Your mum. Not pissing yourself right now, there are you. Do you know who taught you to do that? Your mum. Holding your drink there, I can see. Holding your drink without spilling it all over your stupid... Your mum. But you couldn't live with her for a year now. Just go, mm, if she irritates you in months, weeks, hours, minutes... But I'm going to ask you this now. Say, mm, if you kind of look forward to seeing your dad in a way that you don't look forward to seeing your mum, go, mm. Right! And I'll tell you why. Because I've asked people, what did your dad teach you to do? I asked this to a girl, young woman, teenager, who was sitting with her dad, and she said, she said, oh, no, I'm very irritated by mum, mum, but not my dad. I said, what did your dad teach you to do? And do you know what she said? Ride a bicycle. Blow bubbles. Blow bubbles. Oh, the bubble blower man who comes home once a week, who doesn't say, have you done your homework? Will you put your shoes on? Do you know why? He only does an hour a week. And that's why you like him. Because he didn't put the hard graft in. He was barely fucking there. And so when he was there, he wasn't so unbelievably irritated by your every breath. And that's why he could say, let's do a special game of putting our shoes on. Do you know why? He got you to put your shoes on once a fucking fortnight. And it was a special game for him too. If you have to get someone to get their shoes on three times a day, and each time they look at you as if you're insane, as if if they have utter contempt for you. Do you know what you start saying from the off? Not let's make this a special game because you know full well they're not going to fucking do it. You start saying, will you put your shoes on? (sighs) Mummy, why do you always have to be so mean? Not like daddy. I haven't got my shoes on because I'm blowing bubbles with daddy. And now we're going to fly a kite he made for me especially. He doesn't know where your school uniforms are. Thank you. (laughs) Our guests today are the founder and editor-in-chief of musicfootballfatherhood.com and one of their regular contributors. Please welcome to the stage, Elliot Ray and JJ! (laughs) 
hello, hello, hello. Come take a seat. Now, would you just introduce yourself to the audience? Hello, I'm JJ. I'm not looking after my child right now. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Elliot Ray. Nice to meet you. Thank you. So could you just tell us a little bit about what you do for Music Football Fatherhood? Sure, yeah. So Music Football Fatherhood is a platform uh, for men, and it's for fathers who want to have a bit more of an open conversation about fatherhood. Um, so I started it when my, my daughter was three months old, and I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> my life has changed. And you know, for us, it was uh, quite a difficult time, actually. So for me, it was a time of you know, reflection and creating a space where I could talk and it just so happened that other dads, like JJ and others, um, also wanted a, a space to kind of talk about, about fatherhood in, in a different way. But as you said, we lure them in through the allure of, of music, music and, and football, football chat. Yeah. And then we hit them with some more serious stuff. I mean, don't tell them that because then they won't come. <laughs> um, so, JJ, what drew you to this? Because this sounds absolutely brilliant. Well, it allowed me to have an excuse not to parent that my wife could tolerate. Because I was like... <laughs> I'm trying to make other dads be better dads while I'm not being a better dad just for this small period of time. <laughs> so you, what you do is leave your children so you can talk to other men, ostensibly about fatherhood, but really football and music. Yeah, like most men, I'm a self-righteous dick. Now, um, what it is, is basically, is that um, with the sort of parenting stuff, there's not a lot of stuff that's like in my voice or said by people in a language I understand other than like, the medical kind of stuff. And if I kind of went to sort of appointments and doctor's appointments, they're like, oh, you're here, that's great. Here's a badge, a lollipop, and like, I was really happy. But it wasn't like a whole voice where I could talk about the stuff that is like a dad thing that isn't just, you know, most dads would just be like, how you doing, how's kid? Yeah, let's meet up for a drink. And then we talk about football and stuff. Mm. So he trapped me. He trapped me. He, he trapped he, you. He how said, let's did talk he do about that? football and music and... You've got a kid, you're allowed your father, and now we do this, and it's great. Now he's mine. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of things can you talk about there that you think men weren't talking about before this platform in general? So we have varieties of conversations. We've got a podcast called Daddy Debates, and we have a, a blog where we have content for... Daddy Debates? Daddy Debates is our podcast, yeah. Daddy Debates? Daddy Debates, yeah. Okay, and, it's sort of, <laughs> and that's debates between daddies? Yeah, so it's not like kind of question time debates, but it's just like conversations. So we have some quite serious conversations around like quite serious fatherhood and parenting stuff. Like, but at the same like time, we might just want to talk about bubbles. Yeah, exactly. The important. But stuff. at the same time, we'll just talk about everyday stuff. And I think it's just like sometimes you just want to be around like-minded people who are like you know involved dads and the opposite, I guess, of what you were describing, who do get their hands dirty. And I guess mothers have been having these challenges for years, and now dads are getting more and more involved. And now we're starting to have these challenges around identity and, and that sort of stuff. So having like, like-minded people who you can have a chat with, um, who you can read, who reflect your views, it's kind of like, it's quite comforting and, and nice, mm. I think. It's interesting, you know, like, with the, I've just been through the kind of birth process, and I've just been through it. <laughs> that Steady. Chair. Steady. <laughs> that chair, it was tough. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I was part of an NCT group, and one of the things that dads always talked about was that during the whole kind of labour process, you were just considered a spare part because a lot of the midwives, they kind of hark back to a different era where the dads just wouldn't be there. So when you're there, you're just not really considered. And, like, I understand that obviously the woman is the central focus of the whole process and that, but this is dads trying to get it's, involved it's, now. It's women centering themselves again. <laughs> Um, Stolen the limelight, okay. Yeah. No, I mean, but what I'm you, trying to... Yeah, you want to be part of it. Not like in Mad Men when Don Draper's sitting in the... Um, it's, it's how I filter all my experiences. Uh, <laughs> when Don Draper's sitting in the waiting room chatting to another dad and they were sent out. They were told, you don't belong here and you have to sit outside. And they were just not welcome in the room. Yeah, the vestiges of that are still there in terms of attitude. And when we want to, you know, change like predominant attitudes with regards to fathers taking a much more active role in parenting, it starts from the actual origin of, look, this is labour. This is the point where they're just going to pop up. We shouldn't be like surprise guests. We should be expected to be there. And that was just something that all of our um, people and all the blokes in the NCT group found as an experience. So let's change that. And even just before that as well. So go on, round of applause for that. But I found even um, in the lead up, so what I found is like, you know, my wife 
when she became pregnant, or even before she became pregnant, like becoming a mum was something that she actively thought about quite a lot. Whereas for me, it was literally eight months into the pregnancy when I had to clear up my spare room and my studio equipment I had to go, which I was like, oh my God, I'm become a dad. Like, what is gonna, what's that going to be for me? Yeah. So I guess our conversations are with dads-to-be who are thinking about what is their life going to look like after and what provisions they need to make to be the dad they want to be. Because I think that conversation just doesn't happen in the workplace or between friends like, at all. Yeah, I think we want to like, normalise parenting as a 50-50 thing. And we think if you don't kind of have the conversation on a peer-to-peer level, then it seems like a weird thing. Because at work, if like when my wife's pregnant, she's going to go for maternity, that's a whole conversation. What we're going to do with me, it was like, oh, you're pregnant, wicked, let's go have drinks, boom. After two weeks, you're coming back, that's it. And it's not accepted that, well, maybe I might want shared parental leave, maybe I want to be more involved, maybe she's going to go back work first. Like, it's not accepted. So having conversations, just as dads, as it's a normal thing, like we'll talk about anything else, normalise that behaviour, so we stop giving ourselves pats on the back for just doing normal things. What I seem to notice about men is that, and listen, I'm not, you know, this podcast has never been a Mars and Venus. Oh, men, what are they like? Oh, so different. That We're really not about that. If anything, we're about narrowing those gender differences. What I notice is, and I might have talked about this on the podcast before, but Tom will go off and play poker or pool with another man for hours and come back and I'll say, how's John? And he'll go, yeah, good. And I'll say, and how's the divorce going? And he'll go, oh, it didn't come up. They've been together for like four or five hours. Tom and I have talked about this couple separating and how awful it must be and whatever. Meanwhile, I go for a cup of coffee with Jane and like in 20 minutes, I know the exact state of the situation, whether there's any hope of reconciliation, how the children are taking it, whether there's, you know, either of them have moved on sexually or romantically. I know everything. And it's because I don't know if it's just that we're trained to speak. So it's not just about fatherhood. I think... Guys, what is it that you talk about when we're not there? Because we're never there when we're not there. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the thing for me was, like, the NCT group was quite interesting. So we just spent most of our time messing around. Uh, and I think that's something that we've learned from, like, oh, school playground. Like, Seth Rogen films. Yeah. They have a lot to answer for. The, the, like, I remember one point where um, the lady who ran the course, she brought in, like, a mock-up pelvic bone and a child doll. And she was, like, just trying to show you how the baby squeezes its way out. But then I remember I got the pelvis and, like, stuck it on top of the doll's head so he looked like a warlord. <laughs> I'm like predator and then I was running around going I'm going to attack you so, and the dads were loving it they were loving it you know so um, yeah just kind of more of that stuff is really. it <laughs> is there is there anything in the idea though that when you become a parent you have to to some extent stop being a child because that if can you imagine women in any context any situation any sort of women any combination of women, any age group of women, left alone with the NC, is it NCT doll and pelvis, making the pelvis a hat. There's no, I just can't think, I mean, I guess puppeteering workshop or something, I don't know. It wouldn't be the first go-to. Well, she, my partner was more interested in learning about pain relief and, you know, the whole sure. labour process. I can see that, Johnny. Different, can... different options, you no, know what I mean? Sure. She went down that route. No, the, the one thing I would say with regards to... Um... Down that route? <laughs> down that route, Johnny. Down that route. The one thing I would say, though, with the whole labour process, I kind of mentioned in stand-up, like, it went, like, we were very overdue. I say we, I didn't do most of it. Um, but no, it was very overdue. And basically, the labour was really long. It was like a 40 hour labour, and there was loads of complications. And, you know, at some point, like, I had a full on breakdown. Like, I burst into tears. Like, I thought, you start going into dark places, you know, I just told you I had about an hour's sleep. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, no, basically, you start having these dark thoughts, you know, my partner might die here, my child might die, and no one gets you kind of ready for this stuff. And I just literally broke down. I was in tears. I was really scared, really, really scared. And, you know, one thing I would say is that dads, before that happens, something like that happens, they don't talk about stuff. No one ever mm. talks about the hopelessness, the lack of feeling like you can help, the helplessness, should I say, about 
the whole procedure and how things could go wrong. It was terrible. It was one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me. And I don't mind telling other dads that I burst into tears because, listen, you're playing for, playing for keeps. It's a, it's a big deal. So. I mean, that's maybe something you could be preparing for while making the baby warlord. But... <laughs> um, so it's one thing that I thought was amazing, Elliot, Ray, and I think this is, Johnny's point is a phenomenal one, which is a man might keep that to himself because society doesn't provide a, a talk space that you're meant, then meant down to go down the pub, wet the baby's head, and, you know, it's all kind of, oh, and nobody is saying, how was it? How was it for you? Whereas women afterwards talk about it and say, oh, it's a horror movie, and, they, you know, talk about it. What kind of things are men surprisingly talking about on musicfootballfatherhood.com okay so I think probably feeling not quite sure what kind of dad they want to be I think mm, so interesting so no, back in the day as you were saying like the role of the man was and the dad was quite simple it was go to work work full time your wife might be at home or say at home mum you come home and do the bedtime or whatever bedtime and bubbles exactly uh, and now it's a lot different so now a lot of dads are working flexibly, they're sharing the parental responsibility. And so with that is great, and I think we advocate for like equal lives at home and in the workplace, but what it means is that a lot of dads aren't quite sure what their role is now. So how do I function in that space, and how do I be comfortable in that space? Maybe going to baby groups that are gonna be predominantly women there and feeling comfortable. Um, how do I assert myself with my in-laws even, who aren't necessarily comfortable with my role, for example. So a lot of it is around that and just, talking about us as dads and being there with our children and what kind of what role do you play and how mm. do you feel comfortable and confident in that role? One of the things that you talked about at the He For She Awards was men being able to talk about their daughters getting periods. Mm. Yeah. So we did a blog about that and that's probably one of our <laughs> most popular blogs, I think. Because so. um, it was around like, you know, having that conversation and how, how would you approach that? conversation and I think a lot of a lot of the dads that engage with us are quite open-minded and and progressive so a lot of dads were like yeah I would have that conversation but a lot were also like no I wouldn't I don't know how to approach it and I'm yeah my daughter's four years old and even like now she's so clever and I'm sure all parents say that right like all parents say that but she's so clever and it is so interesting some of our conversations I do think in 15 years time in 10 years time like what are the dynamics going to be like in 10 years' time as they are now, because now she's four, right? So, mm -hmm. so she's comfortable with, like, you know, being naked in front of me or she's four years old. Um, but when she's 15, when she's 16, how is our dynamic going to change? I do think about that quite a lot. So a lot of the conversations we'll have will be about that and, and, and the future mm. as well. Do you ever talk about the possessiveness that men have been taught to feel over their daughter's sexuality? Oh, 100%, yeah. Definitely. It's that kind of thing of, you know, that protective nature and that probably feeling that we have to protect our children. But I think what's quite interesting, actually, is that when my daughter was maybe four, three or four months old, and she was always with us, so new parents will know, your kid is literally on you all the time. And it was Christmas, and she went downstairs with her auntie, and her auntie took her, and she didn't cry whatsoever, and she was fine. And it was kind of the first time I realised, oh, she's not, she doesn't belong to me, she's a human being, right? And I need to give her that space to be her own person. And as much as I want to, like protect her from the world all the time I realised I can't do that forever and there will be a point where I have to kind of let go to an extent and it's about you know building that relationship so when that does happen we have the mutual respect and the understanding and we're friends so we can go through that process together and it's not a worry of you know I need to protect her like a man feels like he should do I, I do think there's a thing as well with regards to uh, parenting roles in terms of the way that we perceive it ourselves like when we found out that we were having a boy my fiance couldn't hide her disappointment <laughs> straight up we had to have a coffee afterwards right um i remember the coffee she's quiet she ain't spoke for about like two minutes i'm like you're right she's like i don't know what i'm gonna do with a boy <laughs> look at her like you're gonna do the same thing you do with a girl you're gonna raise it you know raise him and but the thing is is we start to parent, I believe, through the prisms, well, the traditional prisms of, oh, daddy's little girl or mummy's little boy, you know, and therefore the gender-prescribed roles start to seep through. So, like, with the whole daddy's little girl thing, my mate is due to have a child, and we're saying he might have a girl, and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know how I'm going to deal with that kind of thing. And everyone's been saying, oh, it'll be like daddy's little princess, though. And it's like, 
the only way to pacify a dad about having a girl or in in these experiences when you say it's daddy's little princess because then it's something oh yeah you can protect her and she'll be sweet rather than no she's just going to be a child just like the boy is not going to be some absolute lunatic just because <laughs> he's a boy you don't it doesn't have to go down that way you know but even like it, like we always think about these as being negative notions but actually sometimes the positive thing of like oh yeah it's going to be daddy's little girl is actually what starts off these negative cycles mm-hmm. Yeah. And the how many more like people I know who now have teens who are non-binary, it is quite common now for teenagers just to go, I don't identify with either of these tribes. And this is a new space. And I think it's a very positive thing. I think we're coming into this age where we're just sort of going, yeah, we don't need to say I'm this or I'm this. And also that teenagers now expect to be fluid. They expect that maybe I won't be non-binary forever. Maybe I'll continue to transition. And I think that's such an exciting time. But it is a new landscape for parents because there's absolutely no template for it. I mean, there is, in as much as there's a genderqueer history of people, but not out in the public domain where we're talking about it. Gina's telling me we have to end, but I just wanted to get one question from the audience. Has anyone got a question? We're discussing the popularity of, of your site and saying that you're actually discussing those issues where your child is four and then having concerns about later life. Is the majority of those conversations that you're having now with kind of like an under five category or is it expansive? So we've got a, a team of 15 contributors and an editor. And what I'm really proud of is that on Music Football Fatherhood, we've got a diverse range of dads in terms of race, in terms of age. And I think we try to provide that content and the conversation for parents in different stages of their lives. So expectant dads, new dads, and dads that are grandparents as well. I think um, even though there is that the kind of new wave of fatherhood or, or people that want to be involved as well, that's not necessarily age-specific. So there are plenty of older men and younger men who have things to say, who want to find like-minded people as well. So yeah, sign up. I don't know how old your child is, <laughs> um, but it'd be great to talk to you. And please tell all your brothers, uh, your sons, your husbands, that if they want to have more open conversation about fatherhood, your dads, uh, then join our mailing list. We've got a podcast. We've got a blog as well. So we'd love to get people involved. There's contributors, and then people can talk in the comments underneath. Is that the Yeah, case? comments, or we've got a podcast, which we welcome people on. Uh, we have a Twitter chat called Daily Debates as well on, on Thursdays at 9pm, and we'll just throw out kind of topics of the day and have kind of in-depth conversations around those topics as well. So if you want to hear the podcast, it's Daddy Debates. On YouTube and on, Spotify. On YouTube and Spotify. And if you want to join in with the Twitter chat, it's Thursday night. Yep, so search the hashtag Daddy Debates. Um, check out musicfootballfatherhood.com as well. And this would be a great thing to send to the men in your life and say, hey, get involved. Because the more men that start to contribute and have these discussions, the more we normalise men being parents, which I know is absurd that we're having to do that in 2019, but we still are. This is still quite a new thing. And in a way, clubbing it together with music and football makes it feel like, yeah, I like music, I like football. Don't have to talk about being a dad all the time, but then sliding over to those conversations more. Will you be using it, Johnny? Yeah, definitely. I think you bang on with that. In terms of like, I think that parenting is one of the best ways to affect social change because the thing is, is people are much less likely to change themselves but they're much more likely to change for another being that they love because even points where they feel that they've got issues, like, you know, they might have prejudices, the moment they love another being more than themselves, they're much more likely to come to terms with that prejudice because ultimately you can't deny your child. And so it's a great opportunity to change the world. Uh, Johnny Cochran, just before we go, do you want to quickly plug anything? Um, I also am doing a football podcast. The official Arsenal podcast is coming out. Uh, Not rivals, not rivals. Uh, In mid-November, the Arsenal Nation podcast. So, yeah, if you like Arsenal... There'll be a massive crossover between Guilty Feminists and the Arsenal (laughs) podcast. You'll You'll be drowning in listeners. It's time to close this episode, but before I do, Elliot and JJ, anything you haven't said that you want to leave on the table? Anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Just don't raise dickheads and we'll be cool. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Rothman's podcast host, Johnny Cochran, and our very special guests, Celia Ray and JJ. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp, music by Mark Hodge, and the producer was Tom Spitzley.
listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit GansaFabulous.com. Last man we're ever having on co-host. <laughs> Last man. He said, I can't backstage, I can't fuck this up, no men, other men will be invited. I said, no other men will ever be invited anyway, it's fine. Um, do, you're going to do this.